The Accidental Entrepreneur is produced by Beinhacker Law and brought to you through our affiliate relationships with the following sponsors. One of One Productions, the New Jersey-based podcast studio that produces and edits both audio and video podcasts. They sell equipment for the average podcaster and have even created a guesting kit exclusively for our listeners. North Authentic, the conscious hair care marketplace offering the cleanest brands from around the world. The Healthy Place, the e-commerce site with thousands of supplements to help you live a healthier life, along with natural solutions for chronic pain, stress, anxiety, depression, sleeplessness, and much, much more. And be sure to support the podcast by ordering some logo merchandise from our online store. Listen to all of our sponsors' commercials later in this episode and follow their links in the show notes to learn more about their products and services. A lot of it is their operating procedures because they have no idea where to even start with that. And then to actually set up the facility. They're not usually familiar with compliance and how strict a state will be, you know, right, right. that like, okay, you, you know, your access control, or if this door doesn't lock a certain way, or if this camera doesn't work, if you know, all of these things, you have to be able to prove, you know, how to use the point of sale system and that you have all your record keep. So it's all these <laughs> little things yeah. that they don't realize will be looked at. We've had before a log for cultivation that didn't have we didn't title one of the columns correctly and had to change it. And luckily could change it on the spot. But it's the tiny things like that, that if the owners haven't faced it before, they will kind of panic, won't know how to fix it. And then the state will leave and they'll have to reschedule again for two or three weeks later. And then they'll just say, I'm if, sorry, we're leaving. Yeah. And if we're there, and they'll give them like a deficiency and, you know, report, here's what you have to fix. But if we're there, a lot of it, we can fix just in the moment because it'll be little things. One time we just drove out to Home Depot because the state said, oh, we can see light under that door. So we drove to Home Depot to get one of those things, you know, right. the like end of door things. <laughs> Was this like passed. where you couldn't have the windows, right? They had to be covered and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And then the door to the outside. And they'll, uh, sometimes they kind of just make things up. The information provided in these episodes is for entertainment purposes only. It is not a guarantee of success or to be construed as advice of any kind. You should always seek advice from local licensed professionals before making any decisions. The dictionary defines an entrepreneur as a person who organizes and manages any enterprise, especially a business, usually with considerable initiative and risk. People often start a business without much choice, perhaps due to a job loss or just being dissatisfied at work, and they come up with an idea they just know can be successful. They become entrepreneurs by accident. That is to say their success or failure happens by accident, not with intention. My name is Mitch Beinhacker. I'm a corporate attorney and a business advisor. You're listening to The Accidental Entrepreneur, my podcast about how to achieve success on purpose, not by accident. Join me along with our monthly guests where we share our knowledge and help you get a hold of your business. And now on to today's episode. Hi, I'm Juliana Whitney. I am the founder of Can Strategy and co-founder of Leaf Sheets. I've been in the cannabis industry for six years, love it, and I'm working every day to build what the future of the industry will be. I'm from Vegas and now in New York. And I'm happy to be here. Okay. And welcome to another episode of The Accidental Entrepreneur. We have a special guest today, 
to talk about cannabis. It's a uh, unique time in New Jersey because I think as of yesterday, uh, shops, retail shops started opening. So it's uh, the timing is very good. So I'll introduce Julianne in a minute, but I want to remind anybody listening, if you're listening on any of your favorite podcast platforms, please be sure to uh, leave us a rating. And if you're watching us on YouTube, subscribe and hit the like button and all those great things so we can keep getting, I don't know, good content to, to the people that need it. So Juliana, thanks so much for joining me. I guess you're you're in Vegas, right? Right now? Right now I'm in New York. Oh, you're in New York. Okay, good. So yeah. you're not, it's not really early there. Then. So it's 1130 for both. No. <laughs> yeah. Okay. okay, good. So like I was saying, today's uh, an apropos thing because I, I looked, I remember we connected recently and I had room in my schedule and you jumped on. And then I saw in the news last night, like the first two or three dispensaries opened uh, for public use in New Jersey. So I thank you for coming on. I don't remember how we connected. I think it was through LinkedIn or something. Yeah. And let's talk about, you know, I want to talk about first about kind of your background and because I know you've okay. been MBA and your, your training and everything and what led you to cannabis. And then we can have a whole discussion about like what's going on in the industry and things like that and what Leaf Sheets does. Okay. Sounds good. Cool. So I started uh, in the cannabis industry in 2015 when okay. Vegas first yeah. opened. <laughs> when Vegas, okay, good. <laughs> like uh, when Vegas first opened medical okay. and I was getting my master's in business and I was a bit distracted because I'd started a nonprofit. So okay. my parents said, you should take a leave of absence. You seem distracted. And that meant I had to get a job, which I did not like. It was the nonprofit, a cannabis nonprofit, or was it something else? So you were just busy and no. a lot of things going on. Yeah, it was for girls in foster care. It was Got called it. That Adopted Girl. Mm -hmm. oh, okay, nice. And so I started working at a dispensary because one of my family friends, uh, they were opening the first dispensary in Vegas. Okay. And as I was there, I was meeting all the executives of all the companies because they didn't have sales teams yet. <laughs> they were delivering okay. their own product in buckets. Okay. And in buckets. Jeez. In buckets. And then I, after watching kind of operating the dispensary and seeing what it was like to start up and seeing all the operational problems and loving startups and just business theory, I thought, okay, I might be able to do this in a consulting capacity. Got it. Let me see if I can. And I went to one of the executives of one of the main cultivation and production facilities. They're actually in will you let me open your dispensary because it was still closed uh like hadn't been approved or anything and they said he said yes so that was my first kind of client ever and did all of their standard operating procedures at for the state level so regulatory stuff in there and everything and got them approved to open and then trained their team brought in their first inventory and got them launched i think it took somewhere between eight and 12 weeks. And that was in 2016. And it wasn't and as hard as it is now, like the regulations weren't as crazy or you have to do all those SOPs and everything that you do now. Oh yeah. It, they uh, were still okay. as crazy. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so when you, when you first started in the business, you were working at a dispensary. I was working at a dispensary. So I was still working front desk at a dispensary and opening this other dispensary at the same time. Okay. And how did you learn 
because it was new, obviously this is seven, eight years uh-huh. ago. How did you learn all, like, what would you write in the SOPs and how would yeah. you write it? Yeah. All that. How did you figure that out? Cause yeah. Totally. So I kind of taught myself, I would look up SOPs for other types of companies, specifically pharmaceutical companies and see uh, how they were written and then basically reverse engineer those also. And then look at the regulations, a lot of which give you the rules for what you have to do, you know, and then combine that with my knowledge of how we did things. But but sometimes the statutes would just like list the things that have to be covered, but you wouldn't know how you should write it. But it makes right. sense. You find an equivalent industry, right? And you you see what they did in, in those industries. Yeah, exactly. And say, okay, we're going to do this. And then basically write out, here's how. <laughs> here's yeah. how we're going to do it. Exactly. Right. Now, was there, in New Jersey, there's like page restrictions. Was there any kind of restrictions? Or you could just write what you wanted to write? In no. Nevada, no page restrictions. The applications they got were like thousands of pages. I'm sure. Horrific. Yeah. Horrific. And the first, the first round of applications they got were paper. (laughs) Physically had it. It was like, yeah, there was no, right. We were barely online then. Right. Yeah. 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 You had to deliver Uh, this stuff in like triplicate, right. With a truck. Exactly. And luckily I didn't have to do the entire. So since it was just their SOPs to get approved by the state, it wasn't their actual application. They'd already gotten their license it wasn't an entire app. It was just their, all their SOPs. Which is, I think New Jersey does it too. Like you can file for a conditional license and get the license. Then you got a certain amount of time to do the whole, the SOPs and all that stuff. So you and can't operate with the license. You got to still get the SOPs in and get them all approved. Yes. So okay. it's similar. And now in, in 2016, how many states had recreational use cannabis where it was new, right? Somewhere around nine. Oh, was that Something many? around nine. Yeah. Okay. Who, Colorado, I think was the first, right? And maybe Colorado, California. Washington, Oregon. No, California was actually after Nevada. Oh, okay. Yeah, for recreational. And I don't even know where else. <laughs> I don't remember. Yeah. But I think there are a few others. Maybe not. I could yeah. be remembering 2017. It <laughs> yeah, was the early days. Exactly. So yeah. that was your that was your can strategy company, right? You started basically as a consultant. I started as a consultant. It was not called Can Strategy at that point. When I okay. first started, I had two business partners and it was called the Jay Whitney Group. And then okay. in 2019, I separated from that company and started Can Strategy. Got it. So what did the partners do? I mean, if you're they, consulting, it's not like you're manufacturing and supervising things. So yeah. Whatever. Yeah. So one of them was a litigator. He would look over all of our contracts. <laughs> we okay. needed that. So like your general and, counsel type of thing. Exactly. And okay. it was our, you know, first first go at consulting. So I didn't know how to write a contract or <laughs> what terms to put in there, you know? Right. So he would help us with that. And if any of our clients ever needed kind of legal help, he would help us find that representation. And then the other one was my primary business partner, and he did a lot of the technical stuff. He did a lot of our accounting and HR stuff, helped to onboard our team. We had a team of four or five at that point, and then would help out with consulting, especially the actual physical part. So we'll, we would do uh, like reviews of 
cultivation facilities and check that every plant was in place and uh, lined up with metric and do a whole facility inspection, that kind of thing. And yeah. he would do a lot of those. Got it. And then why do you guys separate? Uh, we basically uh, hated each other. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> by the end. <laughs> yeah. Makes for good partnership. We wouldn't even be in the same room. So, yeah. Well, at least you, at least you got out, right? Yes, finally. Okay. Um, all right. So then you start Can Strategies, and it was basically to do the same thing, just your own company, even though exactly. your name was on the door of the other company. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So what? So how did you start finding? Like, how did you start growing? I mean, that's a business, right? So how did you start yeah. growing that business and? finding other clients and things like that? It was pretty difficult at first. Okay. We, uh, especially because we had just both left a dispensary and we're in our twenties and going to people that started these high risk businesses be like, right. can we help you? you know? yeah. So to build that credibility, we kind of just did everything. So we'd go to people and say, basically, what do you need help with? Everyone needed help with something. And would figure out how to do it. So if that was training, then I would kind of use what I know from my MBA studies about how to train employees and like make it good for customers. Or we did recruiting, we did (laughs) business plans, we did a feasibility study one time. So it was anything people needed at first. Were they coming to you before startup? Like they were like, we want to get into this. We don't know what to do. Or were they... A lot of them. A lot of them were before startup. And then we did trainings for dispensaries specifically. And then for cultivations, there were more cultivation facilities in Nevada than there are dispensaries. Okay. And a lot of them had no idea how to get open, how to do the state approvals and everything. So we would help them do that and set up their facility. So we would basically take the SOPs and apply it to the facility to make sure it was all set up the way their operating procedures said it would be. And, and cultivation, we're talking like grow houses, things mm-hmm. like that, right? You don't just grow marijuana in a field. Exactly. Yeah. Kind of a, yeah. Okay. So do you have people that you work with? Like, so you write the application, you get them approved, you do the procedures. Mm-hmm. Do you have people you work with? Like if a person says, I don't even know how to set up this grow house. Right. Yes. There must be companies that do that, right? Set them up. Yeah. Specifically grow houses or cultivation facilities and processing facilities. I have consultants that I work with to help with that who've specifically worked in those businesses. Uh-huh. And then with dispensaries, I do that with a team of people. So um, we'll physically set up locations and help them figure out how they want to launch and their strategy for growth and all of that. You'll even help them find the location. Do you, do oh, you yeah. like all of you it. deal with municipality approvals and stuff? All of it. So <laughs> yeah, to an extent. Okay. I don't do uh if there's like legal paperwork for that kind of thing, I don't do that. No, they usually their find, own. Yeah. yeah, someone local and then always find all of their vendors. So their point of sale, all their technologies, set all of that up. And then coordinate, especially during the license process, coordinate with the construction team, with the architects, with the accountant, all of that to set everything up properly and kind of set up who they'll work with in the long term to make everything work. So they're not running around crazy trying to find out who to work with. Got it. Got it. By the way, I hear some background noise. Are you in like in a Chinese kitchen or something? Yes. (laughs) Can you guys stop doing the dishes? (laughs) Thank you. That's, that's funny. <laughs> we can hear all the things. 
That's funny. This is all live. We all I, do it on the fly. Sometimes yeah. your background in my place too, because I'm in a co-working space. Like, like people screaming uh, and stuff. Yeah, exactly. Got it. That's a good idea. <laughs> so I'm always curious because as I got involved in the business in New Jersey, you know, mm-hmm. I there there are a lot of um, you know, like not obstacles, but there's a lot of things that you really need to know and figure out in order to, you know, to get off the ground. So what have you seen like that? What are the biggest challenges? And obviously it must vary from state to state that these business owners face to get, to get open. Like the, the, the obvious things don't seem to be the problems. It's more like the details and the, you know, all that type of stuff. Right. A lot of it is their operating procedures because they have no idea where to even start with that. And right. then to actually set up the facility. They're not usually familiar with compliance and how strict a state will be, you know, right, right. that like, okay, you, you know, your access control, or if this door doesn't lock a certain way, or if this camera doesn't work, if you know, all of these things, you have to be able to prove, you know, how to use the point of sale system and that you have all your record keep. So it's all these (laughs) little things that they don't realize will be looked at. We've had before a log for cultivation that didn't have, we didn't title one of the columns correctly and had to change it and luckily could change it on the spot. But it's the tiny things like that, that if the owners haven't faced it before, they will kind of panic, won't know how to fix it. And then the state will leave and they'll have to reschedule again for two or three weeks later. And then they'll just Whereas say, I'm if, sorry, we're leaving. Yeah. And if we're there and they'll give them like a deficiency and, you know, report, here's what you have to fix. But if we're there, a lot of it, we can fix just in the moment because it'll be little things. One time we just drove out to Home Depot because the state said, oh, we can see light under that door. So we drove to Home Depot to get one of those things, you know, right. the like end of door things. <laughs> was this like passed. where you couldn't have the windows, right? They had to be covered and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And then the door to the outside. And they'll, uh, sometimes they kind of just make things up. And it's important to know that too. So if you're an owner, you usually haven't read every regulation and memorized it. And when we're there, what we can do and have had to do a lot is regulators because they're new too. Yeah. will make things up, I think, to feel important or I that's don't know. Human smart. nature, right? Isn't it? Yeah. yeah. And we'll push back on it. And like that's right. not you have to accept the rule. It, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So are some states, have you found some states to be much more difficult to deal with? And because like I know New Jersey's new, but my my yeah. experience with the state of New Jersey for other things, they're very difficult. They're, you know, they're very particular. And like you said, some of it's human nature depending on who you're dealing with. Some are very accommodating, some aren't, but I think in general, New Jersey is like a difficult place to do business. So have you found that in some states versus others? That it's just difficult to do business. Everywhere? Uh, kind of. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, a lot of times because every state is trying to, you know, Flex not their mess muscle up. a little bit, yeah. Yeah. And they're really, they don't want to mess up. They're like, well, we don't want to be the state. That's a disaster. You know, right. they'll be so strict and so specific and uh, it, that can be exhausting. Yeah. So, do, uh, you know, you know, one of the things I thought were interesting and I'm not sure you could explain to me how it works is people don't think about like when you have a store, right. You have an alarm system, you have locks and it's, but you're talking about housing a federally illegal class one substance that everybody wants to steal for the most part. So how, 
like does security have to be cameras and, and an alarm? Do you have to have an armed guard? Do you have to have dogs on site? I mean, what what kind of and does that vary from state to state? It actually doesn't vary from state to state very much. Okay. A lot okay. of them have similar requirements. They'll have, okay, you need this type of camera that can see this far, can see in the dark. You have to have this kind of lighting inside and outside. You okay. have to have access control systems. Uh, you Then we usually have to write out who has access to each area. So like regular, you know, ground floor employees can't access this area at all. And so we'll write out who has access to everything. And then you'll always have a security guard. They're not always armed, but you always have some kind of security on site during office hours or overnight or during during operation and then some places will do overnight as well and have a guard that walks the yeah, ground depending basically. on what's going on yeah now i've i've heard also that if you do like your security plan has to include like a schematic to show where the cameras are and how they're going to be connected right and you need plans of your building a lot of people don't think about this they're just going to say oh i'm going to put up cameras and we can remotely access them and exactly and the, even the detail of the drawings, the way that I learned how detailed drawings needed to be was yeah. the first out-of-state client that we had at the Jay Whitney group. Actually, our first client outside of Nevada was like outside of that very first uh, dispensary setup uh-huh. was out-of-state and it was in Ohio. Okay. And we did their whole cultivation plan and everything. And then after the awards were given, there are only 12 cultivation licenses given out. I downloaded all the applications of the winners and saw how detailed their floor plans were and their security plans. And so that gave me a whole new understanding of how intense they right. had to be. So, so yeah. So do you need architectural plans for your space or can you just use a drawing from the building owner that shows the space and you give it to your security guy? Or, you need you know? plans. You need architectural plans uh, with most states. So some, actually, it's funny. Some of them, you don't need a location, but you have to have a floor plan. I think because they just- How can you have just, one without the other? Yeah, I think because they want to see that you know what you need on your floor plan, okay. it seems. And so you know that you need this vault, you need a place for cash, you, you know, X, Y, Z. And then you can indicate, have your, there's security teams that I'll collaborate with that will do the security overlay. There's, I actually have won a couple licenses doing that myself. <laughs> doing the overlay with the, well, because yeah. you've seen so many of them, right? Yeah. So you don't necessarily, so if you, if you, if you've done this before and you have an overlay and you know the specs, you don't yeah. have to have a security company on board at that point. You don't have to. Right. No. What What about yeah. the accounting side of it? Do you have to have an accounting team? You have to have somebody you selected don't. who knows 20, what is it? 280E, right? Uh, yeah. No. So okay. <laughs> I have one licenses uh, that we didn't have an accounting person. Um, I think we may have had an accounting person review it, but they didn't really have much input because we've got like pre-built financial plans and we'll alter them for each state based on, you know, how much wholesale is and how much the state taxes and whatever other rules. And then I like to, so this is where it gets tricky. Clients are already paying a lot for legal representation. They're paying a lot for a consultant. And then for me to go, okay, also, 
we need to hire an accountant right. and a security team and right an now. architect. Yeah. Right. It gets expensive. <laughs> some, it's so expensive. So some of them have, have the capital to do that and some don't. And it's not advisable. I would advise like we collaborate with those professionals for those pieces. But if some clients just don't have that extra capital to do that in that moment, then we'll do our darndest, you know? Right. Now, and that's where we're <laughs> going to get into leaf sheets, like where the concept came from. But if you have, um, uh, well, I just lost my train of thought you were saying about, um, uh, I was just going to ask you a question about, you were saying about, oh, you had said um, you want to license here, you want to license there. Right now, your consulting is really limited to those states where you bid on licenses, right? You work, you compete for licenses and there's a, 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 a limited number of them. Because right now, I don't think New Jersey's really like that. At least they haven't said that yet. As long as you can find a municipality, they'll give you a space and you got you have a lease, you can apply for a license. You know, that kind of weeds it out at the local level instead of at the state level. But right now, that's all you're doing, right? You're consulting on competitive licenses? Uh, for the licensing. So we do yeah. a lot of operational consulting. With the licensing, it's mainly in states with a limited number of licenses. We'll do those. And then starting to do some... So New York, for instance, doesn't have a set number. But we're still doing the licensing because people seem to want help just writing out their SOPs and right. just planning, figuring out who they're working with and all of that stuff and navigating everything. So it's not as high stakes because it's not limited right. uh, and we're not competing. <laughs> but right. It's not it, as much pressure and you're not worried about losing. Exactly. Just getting it right. You just have to get it right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Just have to get it right. You have more chances. So, <laughs> but we are still helping people. But we do not work in states uh, for licensing, like Oklahoma. You know that it's just you just put some paperwork together, and you oh, don't even need easy? your operating procedures. No? <laughs> it's it's really easy. Yeah. Okay. So anybody listening, you want to open up, move to Oklahoma. <laughs> it's way too easy. The hardest thing about it is that you have to have 75% residential ownership. So Oklahoma residents. Got it. Well, mm -hmm. I think that's New Jersey's like that. Too. I think at least 50% has to be in state, somebody who lives here, which makes sense. I mean, the states don't want to be giving that to people who don't live in the state, right? Yeah, I think it makes sense. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so let's, um, let's get into leaf sheets because you're going to explain okay. the whole metamorphosis and why you did that and what drove you to do it. What, but before we get into that, what's your, like, what's the pricing structure on the consulting side? If somebody says, Oh my God, I don't want leaf sheets. I need like Juliana to do this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know what the hell I'm doing. What's the pricing structure? Is it hourly flat fee kind of money flat that they're fee. looking at? The flat yeah, fee. So, okay. Yeah. We do flat fee. Usually for competitive states, it's a hundred thousand dollars. And then we have a success fee for each license that's awarded. Also, and that okay. success fee is paid over a year or two years, depending on how many they win. So it's not too much of a hit up front. And then in non-competitive states, it's it kind of depends on the state, <laughs> like yeah. how much is required, you know, that, that state needs you to have together. And we'll price out projects based on that and also a flat fee. Because I really like, I always try to think, okay, if I were this person, how would I feel? And right. I would prefer to be able to know how much I'll be spending, you know, to yeah. like know what your startup budget is. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I've seen everywhere from 
75 to $250,000 is ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> charging. But I guess if you have the money, if you have the capital, right. And you really hands off, or you're really like, listen, I want to focus on growing the business and running the business. Mm-hmm. I don't know regulatory and compliance. And I would tell exactly. people who are listening, don't become a regulatory compliance expert. You won't be able to. Yeah. Um, and you won't like it. You know, you do it right. <laughs> okay. Won't. So, but because of the, kind of the high barrier to entry, not just your fees, right? But the licensing is usually 20 or $30,000, right? You got architectural, you got all this stuff. You came up with the concept of leaf sheet. So let's talk about, what was that? Uh, Some noise going on. It was a sink. sink. (laughs) Let's talk about like what leaf sheets is, where it came from, why you're doing it. Because you're really, it's really focused on the small business owner. So that's what's, what's really cool about it. It is. So it basically was, birthed out of seeing a lot of smaller business, like entrepreneurs that wanted to get into the industry. And then let's say they have $50,000 or $100,000 for the licensing piece of it. And then have investors that are saying, if you get a, this happens all the time. If you get a license, here's how much money we'll give you. A lot of investors won't do pre-license, right? Exactly. And I always thought, well, these people, what I appreciate about them is they're usually dreamers, like they're big thinkers, they're excited. I think they would really put in the work, you know, but they can't afford just the licensing. And by the way, 50 to $100,000 is sometimes all you have to start the entire business. Right. In other industries, right? But it's a heavily regulated. Yeah. Okay. And I thought, okay, if, if I figured this out on my own, other people, if I can figure out how to teach them how to do it and give them 75 to 80% of the way there. So, because just like you said, if when you first read an application and it says security plan, people write, we'll have this, we'll have that and right. not understand. Yeah. Uh, so if we can give them the bulk of it and then also uh, resources so they can know how to navigate things to customize their sheets that's what we call them sheets, okay. <laughs> then they can have something substantial. And let's say they were in New Jersey where it's not totally limited except by kind of the local restrictions. Yeah. Then you may really have a chance in New York. You'll really have a chance, California, Oklahoma, like all the States, let's say Oklahoma, you don't need it to get a license, but you need it to get open. So okay. then you have it. And that was the, model of it. And we'll have other pieces we build out, but this is step one, get people in (laughs) the industry. Here's a word from our sponsors. Looking to get into podcasting? Maybe to market your business for your own enjoyment or because you have a message you want to get out there. One of One Productions is a New Jersey-based studio just over the George Washington Bridge that caters to the booming business of podcasting. They offer a comfortable atmosphere using the latest technology available record your podcast and they are a full service media company offering both audio and video production services creating both audio and video podcasts as well as video shorts for business and personal use professional audio equipment packages are available through their website for all budgets and be sure to check out their podcast guesting kit created specially for our listeners care for your health care for the planet and look flipping great doing it North Authentic is a conscious hair care marketplace offering the cleanest brands from around the world. Their pro stylists curate only the most fabulous non-toxic hair products with better for you shampoos, serums, masks, and more that actually give you gorgeous hair without hurting your health or the planet. 
hey, you've only got one life, one planet, and one glorious mane. Might as well treat them all as best you can, right? Try a 100% clean hair care routine prescribed just for you using their link in the show notes. If you don't see a big, beautiful difference in how your hair looks and feels, you can tell them they're crazy. Do you battle chronic pain, stress, anxiety, or depression? Well, if you take any supplements or you're interested in natural alternatives, you need to know about findyourhealthyplace.com. Find Your Healthy Place has thousands of supplements to help you live a better quality of life, as well as natural solutions for chronic pain, stress, anxiety, depression, sleeplessness, and much, much more. Need guidance? Use their live chat feature and talk to a wellness consultant right on their website. And be sure to use our coupon code TAEPODCAST for all your purchases to get the best prices at findyourhealthyplace.com. Follow their links in the show notes to learn more about all of our sponsors. And now back to our show. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So so what what does that cut their cost down by 75%? I mean, at least. Yeah. Uh, like you said, some consultants are 250,000, which I've yeah. seen too. I'm like, that's ridiculous. real. That is yeah. yeah. Uh, and I think with leave sheets, if you bought every single sheet we have available for a single business line, you're in like 10 to 12,000. Oh, wow. So that's yeah. Really, so because mostly you're talking these micro businesses, right? Dispensaries, you're not talking about large grow operations or manufacturing. They're going to be heavily funded. They need the funding. So they can't just go on. They can't start a business that way for 10 grand. Exactly. Yeah. And they, uh, Essentially, what was I going to say? I totally forgot. <laughs> We're talking about the cost of getting started with these little businesses versus the bigger ones, right? Yeah. Um, anyway. So right, so I already I lost my train think, of thought once. So yeah, I know I'm like, Mm. <laughs> <laughs> well, we were yes. talking about the, the difference between, you know, a larger operation would, wouldn't necessarily yeah. use this service. They're going to hire you to do this, the whole soup to nuts, right? It's as exactly. opposed to the smaller ones that are saying, oh, I can't do this. This is too much, you know? Yes. To get oh, started. what I was going to say, one thing that if uh, Nick is my co-founder uh-huh. and he will attest to this, I was so annoying about making, for two years, we built leaf sheets on our own because we thought we'll build it, prove it, and then raise capital for it. Okay. And for the entire two years, <laughs> I was dead set on us needing payment plans. I said, a lot of these people, because it's so much capital up front, even to, I've had startups, even 15 grand can be a lot up front. They do legal fees that way. They have no choice. Yeah. yeah. And so we, and I said, okay, but we're a product. So how do we do payment plans? So we got Klarna, we got Afterpay. What's Afterpay? Is that like uh, financing it sort of? Basically, so you'll see it on Amazon and stuff. It'll be, it'll say pay with a firm or pay with client. Got it. So they're putting out the money and then they worry about it. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. Because you're right. If, you, if you're selling a product now, once you give them the product, they have no incentive to keep paying. Exactly. And, which, and you're not going to go and collect from them in Oklahoma. It's yeah. And if we have with hundreds of, say we had a hundred people or we had thousands of buyers well, who we yeah. can't chase down thousands of people <laughs> right. Pay us. right so we'd have to have a whole 100 person finance department to figure that out now what prevents now i'm sure it's limited licenses and stuff but what really prevents somebody if i downloaded the leaf sheets in and paid for them in my state some of them are state specific somewhere and then my buddy 
was in South Jersey. He wanted to open up. Could he, can he just use my leaf sheets and you don't know about it? People can cheat you. I mean, probably our only, our biggest concern, one, we always hope like, okay, let's say you're in the same state that you don't want to give your competitors <laughs> everything that you just paid right. for. That's true. And then our biggest concern really would simply be anyone reselling them. So we invested in this attorney that just does very intense terms of use. Yeah. I, he's an IP attorney. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's smart. smart. You know, and we were big on that. I said, we have to have that. We can't even put anything up before we have that. Right. And that at the very least will give us some grounds to say, you know, you've got to stop doing this. Got to stop. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No, IP is important, right? It's all your intellectual property that you're creating and spending a lot of time doing it. Exactly. So so you mentioned before (laughs) about funding. So, Leaf yeah. Sheets is not just like a library of stuff. It's an actual business with partners and funding and you're out there promoting it. And mar- I guess it's all internet marketing, right? So. Yes, uh, we, we built it to where it is right now to be the standard operating procedures that you can buy as products and you can buy them individually. So you don't just have to buy all of them. Okay. And then every single one of them has a DIY guide that guides you through it. Then we have our facts page, which essentially gives business advice and also answers very simple questions about each state and how each state works. So if you just want to know what the tax rate is or what the uh, possession amount is, that kind of thing, we answer that for a bunch of states. And as just kind of an informational resource, our next steps though will be to have all of the sheets state specific. So we need funding for that. And then after that, we'll be building pieces that operators can use. And we need funding for that because we'll need more tech people to to code it, to code it all out. Well, I mean, you know, the industry will grow as you grow. So more states will come online. How many states are left that are not online with cannabis? Uh, Not many. I think it's like 12. 11 or 12 that are not on board at all. And then there's some, there's like 18 that are recreational right now. Got it. And there's others that are pending legislation and things like that. Yeah. Arguing about it. Exactly. Arguing about it. um, I want your opinion on this because I'm always curious as to what would happen. So we know there was a bill recently that was brought to the House and they signed it just because they signed everything just despite the Republicans. And uh, it never even, I don't think it even got out of reconciliation, right? So that happens all the time. But if at some point they declassify cannabis on the federal level, what does that do to the industry? Does it just go nuts and there's large play? I mean, I just can't imagine, right? Because right now it's hard to operate in multiple states. You can own multi-states, I guess, right? But you can't transport. You can't be a grower in Western Pennsylvania and transport your product to New Jersey. So what is it? What do you think that does to the industry? This is such an interesting question because it feels like there's a few ways it could go. Yeah. It will definitely be impacted by how the states react. If the states then also open things up more or if they say, nope. Right. <laughs> I mean, look, the wine business did that in New Jersey. You couldn't ship wine yeah. from other states. So they, they could do that, right? Yeah, a lot yeah. of states could Protect do that. They growers. could say, no way. Yeah. Right. We don't know who these people are growing in the backwoods of, yeah, 
It's sending it's things true. in. Like, yeah. who are you? So a lot of them could do that. Any states, I guess, that allow um, kind of interstate commerce, that'll really open things up. We have one client who specifically put their facility right near one of the largest interstates like up north so they can easily <laughs> transport. And I think there's a few that have done that. Uh, I, In anticipation of someday it opening up? Exactly. Yeah. And I think that a lot of the the smaller growers will not be okay. They're right. not going to be okay. I believe that. Well, they might get sopped. They might get rolled up though. That would be great. Yeah. That would be so great if the smaller ones got rolled up. Yeah. And uh, I'm trying to, I do help people right now to just sell, <laughs> sell their facilities because in some States, all the, you know, big players are already there and the little right. guys are already struggling because of it, Yeah, you know? And then with retail, Hold on one. <laughs> She's like, I forgot. I mean, did read your lips when you're talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what was I telling you? We were talking about multi-state and the oh. little guys being pushed out. So you range for their sale and their purchase yes. and stuff like that. I, yes. We've been doing a lot of that. I think that the there can still be those craft producers. Yeah. Just like the in, alcohol industry changed, right? I mean, yeah, exactly. I bet a lot of them will partner with larger facilities and use their product to produce the, the brand. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of an easier way to go than operating an entire cultivation <laughs> facility. Yeah. Uh, and then I think retailers, I believe that even if you're smaller, you can do well if you have a good location, just like local liquor stores. You know, yeah. if you have a great location, people are showing up, even if you just have one. They're going to buy this um, stuff. Exactly. It's just a matter of being in a good spot, which a lot of people will choose random spots because they fit the requirements but they're not places people would ever go to shop. So, right. You know? Yeah. If you have one of those spots, maybe not. Maybe. maybe right. Not. But if you're in Grand Central Station or in uh, Penn yeah. Station, right? Being the marijuana grower. Exactly. Yes, yeah. exactly. So now do, do a lot of states limit the number of licenses? Because I think in New Jersey right now, you can only own, I, I think, yeah, there's one. certain, yeah, you can only own one and you've got to hold it for two years, right? Before you sell it, something like that. A lot of states have mm -hmm. those. Kind of restrictions? Yes. A lot of states that came after, I would say, like 2017, started to say you can't sell for X amount of years. Right. Because they don't Ohio want people just buying here. licenses and then flipping them, right? Mm -hmm. Which is a lot of guys running around wanting to do exactly that. <laughs> I'm sure. Well, they do that in liquor business, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. So there's those limits on it. And then some states... So lawsuits largely are around the limited licenses and that merit-based system, which I think is why we're seeing New Jersey and New York not do that. Oh, you mean they're, they're suing the state and saying it's not constitutional for you to do that? All the things or they'll say, what was this merit? Who graded this? What makes right. mine different from this one? It's so subjective. They'll get sued and tied up for years. Illinois has been tied up for years, two years, almost three years, I think. And they haven't uh, issued anything? No, it's just sitting there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and what about multi-state operators? So I know there are, 
there are in some multi-state operators, right? But they're not obviously like growing in Nevada and then shipping it to their facility in in Michigan. You can't you can't do that. So they're almost like little micro businesses that are owned by the same umbrella company. Yeah. Does yes. that to vary by the state and too, whether you can do that or not? Uh, no. So no. if you you can kind of just start up. And yeah, they have to do every state independently, which is, I mean, how financially heavy right. is that? Be a big co- well, but you also still have the residency <laughs> requirement, right? So you may have to have yeah. an owner. You may be able to be a partner with somebody, but they may have to own a significant portion of the business. Yes. And they'll do all kinds of things. And in Illinois, the last licensing, you had to have a social equity person, have at least 51% of the business and large multi-state operators got some of those licenses. And there's absolutely no way they gave any social equity applicant 51% of the business. Right. So they'll figure out ways to, I guess, get around it and to write the contracts just to get into certain states with those kinds of rules. Well, that's where these lawsuits come from, right? Because mm-hmm. somebody who's representing the the social equity person says, wait a second, there's no way. Exactly. Yeah, there's no way. Yeah. <laughs> so, Politics and, and bribes. You know? Exactly. Well, yeah, yeah. Did, there's a lawsuit. Did you see the lawsuit? That is again is basically saying that three because I don't know if you know this, but a strange strange amount of the largest multi state operators are from Chicago, a lot of them. Yeah, and uh, so there's a lawsuit saying that they collude, and that they've colluded, and that it's corrupt, and they've done so, especially in Illinois. And I'm like, whoa. We'll see what happens. Yeah. Chicago's got a history of uh, yeah. corruption. <laughs> <Graft. Yes. laughs> yeah. So it's like the Wrigley family, Kobler family, and one other one. Yeah. Oh, really? There's some big families that are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so that stuff is interesting. I think that'll keep happening. It's like DraftKings, you know, they're all there's a lot of like big sports team owners that are involved in those things because they're making yes. lots of money. Yeah, the rich get richer, right? That's but that that's the way a lot of these legislations is is at least designed is to help the the smaller business owner, to help the formerly incarcerated person, veterans, women owned businesses, and things like that. Whether it actually gets enforced that way, we'll see. It's obviously a big part of the one in in New Jersey. It know. is, and everyone's trying to do that. Every state, well, not every state, Nevada, it's PC, did not right? Because it. it's politically correct doesn't mean that behind yeah. the scenes they're not shaking each other's hand, you know. Exactly. <laughs> they're like, well, at least it looks good, you know. Right. Exactly. Uh, and no state has pulled it off well, gotten it to a place where there's no lawsuit or where it actually empowers any disadvantaged group. A right. lot of times, the the programs will strangely make things more difficult for those people or kind of set them up for failure. Right. Uh, New York's making some good moves to help them out with the real, you know, finding the real estate and having a fund for them and that kind of thing. Yeah. Well, I could see upstate New York, you're talking very rural, but in Manhattan gets to be just for a place is going to cost you a lot of money. A location. <laughs> so much. So expensive. Yeah. It's ridiculous. But look, I mean, that's the world of real estate and big business. And, you know, I mean, look, you write the legislation, you do what you do, you try and fight the good fight, big business is going to force their way in. There's profits to be made. And that's the reality of it. And it's hard. It's difficult. Small business owner. That's why I like what you're doing because, you, you know, you're making, you're giving like these small business owners a, a fighting chance to get started. You know, look, if they, if they get going, they got their cash flow, they want to bring you on board as a consultant, 
compliance people, whatever, they'll have the money to do it. But getting started is always the barrier to to entry. Entry, yeah, exactly. So as soon as you get a license in a, a state, especially if it's a hot market, then there's so many investors that are ready to invest, but yeah. they'll stand off until you actually have a license. <laughs> yeah, I actually spoke to a friend of mine who does work in the equity space. Um, cannabis raising money, he said none of his people will talk to you unless you have a license. Yeah, you know they'll exactly. they'll they'll talk to you about your concept, and they'll be like, okay, great, call me when you have your license. But some of these owners need pre-funding. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's hard, but you know, I've been working on some of them. Yeah. It's hard too, because everyone's pitch is similar. So what you can know, your pitch be? You know, well, we're going to sell yeah. a lot of cannabis. I mean, we're going to sell it. We're going to have a really cool store. We'll train our team, like all the same things. And it's difficult to tell who will do that and do it well. And who won't, when you all know the same things to say. Right. I, I think know. that's why it's important if you're getting started, like let's say New Jersey, right? That you have a partner. Maybe you're the in-state person and you're the residence, residential person. You meet that requirement, but you might not have a lot of experience in the business. You need to put a team together and make partners of people that have been successful in other yeah. jurisdictions, maybe even sold their companies, right? Because that's the only thing. You, it's not a guarantee, but at least you could say, well, this person has done it before, Exactly. That's all they're investing in. The rest of it is they're not concerned that people are going to use cannabis. Yeah. I, I think that's kind of like left the station, right? The demand right. is clearly there on all levels. It's really the, you know, it's almost like a given once you're licensed, you really have to fall on your face to not yeah. make some money if you're operating, right? Oh, exactly. Yes. And you're right. The investors, a lot of times their primary question is, well, how are you going to make it work? Who knows what they're doing? Right. And that's why some companies will hire consultants like us to help them. And some will just find at least someone who's been a GM of the kind of business they're opening or something like that, if, right. which I actually, so it's cool to have an owner because they know the back end, like business structural stuff. Having someone who's been a GM is really great because they know the how to manage nitty gritty operational stuff that owners don't. I mean, they like to think they know a lot of times, but if you're not there every day, you really don't know. Right. <laughs> you know? And yeah. even if, I mean, the demand's there, but you can end up with regulatory shutdowns, right? compliance issues. You're not following this. You're not following that. You get a complaint from the town. You get a complaint from neighbors. They come in and investigate you or visit yeah. you. And then you got trouble, right? Yes. Yeah. They'll shut you down. Yeah. You got to have really good people in there. And you're losing money by the minute. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and then what do you do? I was thinking about that. There was, um, I read one of the SOPs on like recall, like if there's a problem with like, say a batch of whatever, right? Mm-hmm. And then I was talking to somebody. I said, "Well, what do you what do you do with it? You can't just like, you know, keep it and just throw it out. You can't do that. <laughs> you can't just throw it in a dumpster, right? So yeah. what do you do? You burn it, and then you got other issues. So, um, yeah, yes, sure there's, there's companies that do that, right? There's companies that dispose properly. Yes, there's the biggest actually plan two plans that most companies will fail on if they fail their licensing." Are, is inventory control and recall and withdraw. Ah, Their waste management. Got it. And the waste, usually they say you have to grind it up and make a 50-50 mix with 
an organic compound. So you'll do paper, you'll do coffee grinds or something, uh-huh. dirt, and mix that to make it unusable. And then where does it go? And then sometimes there's waste companies that will take it. And sometimes you just put it in the trash because if someone took it, they would just have dirt. And can't do anything with it. Can't do anything with it. Okay. Well, you, but you don't think about these things. There's a lot of, I mean, there's a whole industry, obviously, of, of all kinds of professionals now that are going to benefit from these companies that need these kind of resources. Mm-hmm. Hauling exactly. and sanitation is obviously one of them. It is one of them because yeah. it's, it's important. Yeah. And the tracking. Think about it. Yeah. One of the primary They're things, using these systems, right? Where the grower yeah. has to label them and then it goes in a barcode and right. Could you explain that? A exactly. Little bit? Yeah. Yes. So the tracking um, is one thing that a lot of operators mess up on. I would argue even really large operators. It's just a matter if anyone comes in and inspects and sees right, it happening. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And because you have to track every time a product moves, every time, even if you're turning it to waste. And then even once it's actually, you know, removed from the facility as waste. So you say tracking, and, you mean even in your facility? Like it's here yeah. the raw product. Now it's over here. You got to know in at any room, time where it is. But you have to know at all times, you have to know where it is. And okay. the this, this system, the tracking system needs to know where it is. And that usually reports to the state. So they want to see it literally from the time it's usually they have a height. So we'll say once it's 12 inches grown and then everything it does, every move it makes from that point. So what the the plant gets tagged Mm -hmm. with like a barcode Mm -hmm. and then, and then it's got to be put in something with the barcode and now it's yeah. Now, cause now it's, like dried substance, right? It, it can't tag all each little leaf. So that's got to be in a container properly right. labeled, right? Yeah. So when they're growing, the either the pot or the plant itself will have a little tag on it. Okay. And then once it's harvested, you still have to track it there. And then once it's actually trimmed, then you usually have large bins and uh-huh. those have the tracking number. And then every state has a different rule for what a batch or a lot is. And, and they will define those two words differently, but, <laughs> <laughs> but like you have to have it. So Nevada, it's five, every five pounds gets tested. Okay. So you usually they'll keep them in bins that are five pounds. Got it. Yeah. So what are they testing for? Like THC levels or other things? Yeah. Terpenes, cannabinoids, mold, heavy metals, yeast, oh, yeah. bacteria, that, right? pesticides. Yeah. Yeah. All That's that. the problem, right? This stuff gets out in general circulation. It's got mold in it and people getting sick. Exactly. Yeah. You don't want that. And that's when something will be recalled. If consumers say, uh, there's an issue with this or that I think it was, I think it was cure relief in Ohio and they accidentally released a CBD product that actually had THC in it. (laughs) So it was a a CBD product, not a cannabis and it had THC in it. Yeah. And so they had to recall it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Which is why you want to train your team. Well, it's so important because they're, I mean, all that stuff is in their hands. Right. You know? They got to know what to do when it happens. So are, do you see a lot of recalls? Are there a lot of situations in different states where no. things are can happen? It rarely happens. Yeah, rarely. 
It's okay. Yeah, well, that means common. that the that means that the mechanism in place works, right? That they track things and they catch it early. Because there has to be contamination and problems with product. It just never makes it out to the street. Right. Yeah. So when there's you have your lab testing, and uh-huh. then you can know, okay, this flower didn't pass. I can't even sell it. Right. And some places will let you then use that. Some will let you remediate it and try and make it okay and get it retested. Some will let you process it and make it into extract and some will make you throw it away, like just quarantine it and waste it. And then state to state. Uh huh. It varies state to state. Having to waste it is that's a lot of money, you know, (laughs) that's a lot of time. Yeah. It's look, I think, I think that the, the growing side of the business is like the most risky, right? You really need to know what you're doing because, you know, I, I've had conversations with people that are like, well, we're not going into growing. You have to know what you're doing. You're going to kill your crop. Forget about it. You're done. Yeah, that, that's a smart take. I know people that they think, oh, only cultivation. I'm going to go into cultivation. And it's agriculture. So, yeah. <laughs> Like you and I, we'll like, open a farm and we'll start farming and all our plants yeah. are going to be fine. And we're going to have a big crop. Exactly. Not I kill all the plants I have. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then you have to really hire the right people uh, who actually, this is one of the biggest problems that a lot of cultivation facilities have had is that they'll hire people that say they know what they're doing and maybe have experience. And with these plants, you just switch states. So there were consultants from California that came to Nevada, set up giant facility, didn't know how to correct for the climate. And yeah, just right. You lost. can't just grow it yeah. the same everywhere you go, right? Exactly. So just lost you really need smart people. It's yeah. not just a bunch of weed growers. These guys, it's so funny because you'll meet them. And sometimes they seem totally just super lax, so casual. But when they're doing what they love, they are like, Mad scientists. Yeah. No, they <laughs> yeah. understand the science of growing it. Exactly. Yeah. So, you, yeah, it's important. Yeah. I would think uh, that's the hardest part, right? Just because you're opening a facility doesn't mean you know what you're doing. You got to hire somebody and they're, yeah. Yeah. You got to know what happens like, if you get little bugs, what you do, <laughs> right. plant issues, you know. I, I would think that the bet to me, and I could be completely, you completely disagree with me. The manufacturing side of it, I think would be, you're not dealing with the general public directly, right? You're dealing just mm-hmm. with the, so you're, I mean, I guess things could still get out there and you got to recall them. You don't have the growing side problem. Yeah. You, you Your security is different because you're not having the general public coming in. You, you, the money situation, you're not having to, you know, have people come in with debit cards and swiping things mm-hmm. and things like that. I would yeah. think that that would be a, a little bit safer, but- it's not for the small business owner, right? Because you can't open a tiny manufacturing facility because you need to make enough product to be able to sell to people and to provide that meet the demand. Yes. You need scale, scalability and yeah. consistency for the consumer that they can always go to the store and always find your product. Right. And I agree with you because and anyone who gets cultivation, I always say you've got to get a production facility, production infusion, manufacturing, whatever it's called. Um, Because your inventory lasts. So when you're dealing with flour, it's will degrade. (laughs) Right. You got to get it out there. Yes. And with extractions, they will last way longer. So if you have an issue with a sell-through rate, you have, it's more forgiving than if you've got flour sell-through problem. And 
also the extraction and the production facilities allow you to build true brands, which I think is great, you know? Yeah, I was going to ask you that. So you said about your, that you want to build a brand so they know that they're buying your joints, your extracts or whatever it is, right? Exactly. So they want to know that. And then when you can make, you know, mints and you can make drinks and you can make whatever else you come up with. right? Exactly. And build, build a really cool brand. Then really all you need to be great at is marketing. Right. Well, now you're building value, right? Because you're creating Mm -hmm. a brand that has, that has value. You know, what, what do you think, what have you seen are the most popular products? Are they, are they extracts? Are they, are they, are they edible? What the heck was that? Was it a pipe, uh, like a bagpiper in your kitchen? Um, (laughs) Just feedback, maybe? I think it was a, either a phone or a doorbell. Oh, okay. sorry. So, I don't care. I like it live. It doesn't matter. So, so is, is it more, so what's been more popular? Is it like edibles, uh, joints, things like that? Yes. Uh, I saw data and you can see it in the stores, but I saw data from headset uh-huh. and it showed that flour is still majorly the leader. So just flour. People smoke. Pre-rolls. Mm-hmm. And edibles are gaining. They're gaining market share. And then drinks are like, and <laughs> capsules. There's oh, yeah, capsules you can, like drinks. Yeah. So like, like what? Like cannabis tea or what? Yeah, or can. You A know, they drink of, can. What does it taste like? It's delish. It's got, (laughs) they have all these different flavors. I would say they're one of the best companies across the nation at marketing. They're, they have a really good brand personality. They have really good brand representation. They've worked with a ton of celebrities and stuff and people love their product. I think I'm kind of, I'm definitely in their target market and everyone I know that are my friends, they love it. It's like so they, they have to so open much. facilities, manufacturing facilities in specific states, right? So if they in want to sell specific states, they want to sell in Nevada, they got to open a plant there. If they want to sell in New Jersey, they got to do the same thing. They either have to do that or partner with someone with a license and manufacture out of their facility. Right. They can't do it and then ship it there. That's the problem. Right. You can't cross mm-hmm. state lines, then you're violating the federal law. Exactly. But they can get away with not actually having to own the facility. <laughs> they can just partner. I see. Right. They can hire somebody to do it. Yeah, exactly. Interesting. All right. Well, I've taken up a lot of your time. I think you have to go finish the dishes in your kitchen. Uh, I know. And answer <laughs> I, the door. <laughs> I appreciate it because clearly you know the business and you know the industry and what's going on. And if people want to find you, I'll put the link to Leaf Sheets in the show notes, uh, especially for the small business owners who are looking to get started and uh, don't really know like where to go and, and what to do. Yeah. And the, any of the, you know, well-funded ones, you come on over to Can Strategy. <laughs> yeah. Well, how, what's the best way for them to get, to get interact with you? Is it, is it LinkedIn? Is it Instagram? Is it your website? With me personally, LinkedIn. Yeah. Okay, I love LinkedIn. All right. Good. So anybody listening out there, they want to uh, talk to Juliana and see what she's doing and find out more about the business as it grows in your state, go to uh, all, all her websites or LinkedIn. And I thank you for spending an hour with me. Thank you. This was great. You had great questions. If you like the podcast, please tell others about us. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, on Google Podcasts, 
on Amazon Music and many of the other podcast directories. If you like what you hear, please leave us a five-star review and feel free to share our episodes on social media. If you have any questions or comments, ideas for the show, or you'd even like to appear as a guest, reach out to us by email at info at beinhackerlaw.com. The Accidental Entrepreneur is hosted and produced by me, Mitch Beinhacker. If you'd like more information about my legal services, you can find me on social media or visit my website at beinhackerlaw.com. Thanks for listening and be sure to subscribe to our feed to be notified of all future episodes.